0: Please be seated. Kindly keep your Bible open at the passage from Ecclesiastes that we read, which is found on page 664. You can also find a sermon outline in the middle of your bulletin. Let's start with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have this opportunity to come and hear your word preached to us. And Father, we know that not everyone has this opportunity to hear So, Father, for those of us who are here, who gets to hear your words today, we pray that you will help us, help us to pay attention, help us to open our hearts to your words, and help us, Father, to examine ourselves in the light of your word so that we can change for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was once a king of Israel. God showed him love, and he was greatly blessed in all things. This king then built up Israel into a great wonder in the sight of the nations. The nations prospered, and the people prospered with it. Riches flowed from Israel, and there was prosperity and peace. But this king also started to act in ways that are not righteous. He forgot his promises. He treated people who showed him kindness wrongly. He exalted himself, and he even ended up forcing his subjects to perform slave labor, all to build up his power, reputation, and wealth. Ultimately, he forgot even the things that he owed God, and he went after other gods. He was a great king. He was also a terrible king. Do you know who this is? Yep, yeah. This king is Solomon. Now what led Solomon down this terrible road? Ambition, desire for power, desire for wealth, his desire to fulfill that longing in his heart. Ecclesiastes was written probably during the end of Solomon's life and is his reflection on what true wisdom in this matter is. In today's text, he tries to show us what is the value of greedy ambition And how we should be responding to our desires. Is it about being wise and striving with all you have for all you can get? Or are we to totally bury our desires and ambitions and live like monks? The passage opens with a warning in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. We should not offer a sacrifice of fools. This is clarified more in verse 2. The warning is for us to be careful not to be rash and utter words and vows to God. We must not treat God in the wrong way. God, I know you really want me to serve you in this ministry. I'll tell you what, you throw in a new car for me to do ministry in and a pretty girlfriend to support me, and then I'm sure I can do it. To go to God and to try to bargain with him like we bargain with the fishmonger in the market is utter foolishness. Father, if you give me this promotion, I will give more money to the church. To attempt to bribe God when all things are His is even more stupid. We should not try to sweet-talk God with empty praises to get what we want. That is false worship. Bargaining, bribery, empty flattery. This shouldn't be how we come to God. But we do this from time to time, don't we? Why do we do them? Verse 3 tells us, For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. With a dream comes ambition. And with ambition comes a burning desire in our hearts for things that we want. So we then come before God with our heart full of wants, and... When a fool comes before God with a foolish ambition, then he will pour out insincere, foolish, empty words and engage in false worship before God. When we vow to God, we must keep it. We should be sincere, should be faithful in the things that we promise God. Pay God what he is owed, lest you anger God. Verse 4 to 7 then shows us what is the consequences of this false worship. Wisdom tells us to keep our vows to God, to not delay, not make excuses before God. If we sin with our mouth through insincerity and empty worship, then God will destroy the works of our hands. And this is why we are warned to be careful in approaching God. Yes, we are told to bring our needs to God. But when our needs are actually coming from our greed and selfishness, then what we bring before God is a wrong thing. We all know this, don't we? Yet, we are always swayed by foolish ambitions, just like Solomon, even in all his wisdom. In Solomon's downfall with which he took Israel down with him, we see the truth of this warning. Have a look at verses 8 to 9, and you will see how this affects the order of things in the world. If you see those in power oppressing others and violating justice and righteousness, well, don't be surprised, because that is how the world works now. The one who, out of selfishness, desires, and have powers, they will misuse it. And this person has another person on top, Who does the same? And this continues all the way. At best, we can cry out to God for justice, as the psalmist did in our psalm reading today. Ultimately, there is a king on top. A leader who is committed to cultivated fields, as verse 9 puts it. He is committed to prosperity because he himself chases prosperity. And it's a good thing that the nation prospers. But because it is born out of sinfulness, this desire for prosperity will lead to systematic injustice and wickedness. And this is exactly what we see in Solomon's life as he brings down Israel through his unfaithfulness to God. This selfish ambition takes different forms. And in verses 10 to 12, Solomon talks about it in relation to money. Can money satisfy? The simple answer is this. You will never be satisfied with money because you can only eat so much. You may buy a hundredfold more food than you can eat, but all you can do with it is feed other people. You can't eat it. The only pleasure then that you will have is seeing with your eyes the other people eating your food. In fact, the hard-working laborer who has a full belly from eating a full meal, or even if he just eats a little, that laborer will sleep well. He has been fed and he has no worries. But what about the rich? There will be concerns that plague them. What if my stock gets damaged by rats? What if I lose my investments? What if this big business deal fails? What if, what if, what if? Even with a full stomach, he cannot sleep well. So then, why desire large amounts of money and wealth when it has no capacity to actually bring satisfaction? And instead, it can even take away your peace of mind. We then move to item 3 in the bulletin, And We can see from the illustration and the notes that this part of the narrative is told in a style called a chiasm. It looks like a burger, and the idea is that one part on top, one part below, that functions as a mirror image, telling a similar story with similar themes. This mirror image then is to be understood in light of the middle, where the meat is. And that middle will help you to resolve the question that is asked in both scenarios. So we see that chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, which talks about a man who's attempting to build up an inheritance. This forms one narrative. And the second narrative is found in chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, which talks about a man building up a personal empire to satisfy himself. We will look at at these two narratives and then come to the meat of the text to see what Solomon has to say. In the first scenario, chapter 5, verse 13, we see the first grievous evil that Solomon has seen. A man has been keeping riches to his hurt. He has tightened his belt. He's been stingy with pleasures. He has made no provision for himself, and he has collected all his riches to be used for trade. But unfortunately, all the money was lost in a bad venture. And we hear similar stories today, don't we? When people invest in the stock market, or business enterprises sometimes because they need to go all in they sell off their homes their properties and they live really really frugal lifestyle just so they can afford to invest our desire to build up a bigger financial portfolio can sometimes means we don't use our money to bring joy to ourselves or to our loved ones instead we use money to try to get more money then one day it happens. Businesses fail. The stock market fail. Currencies devalue. So what then is all your sacrifice worth? The man in this passage is a father of a son, but now he has nothing to hand over to his son. No legacy to inherit. No inheritance to give. All that he has gathered up is gone without any profit to him. So what gain is there then to toil ceaselessly to the point of suffering just so we can get more money for the sake of making more money? Verse 16 tells us, There is no gain in this. The man can't bring anything with him in debt. Naked he came into the world, and naked he shall go away from this world. Desperately searching for great riches... Cannot give us joy. It can only bring us misery, annoyance, sickness, and anger. Next, we skip the meat part and we come to chapter 6, where we see the second scenario that Solomon points to us. In chapter 6, verse 1, this grievous evil that Solomon has seen takes the form of a man whom God has already blessed with wealth and respect, but he is unsatisfied. This man has everything that his heart desires, yet He is unable to enjoy them. Verse 3 tells us that his soul is not satisfied with the good things in life. So even if he lives up to be 2,000 years, as verse 6 says, if he cannot enjoy the good things in life, there is no point. This man is always looking for more desires to fill his emptiness without knowing satisfaction or contentment. Imagine someone who collects designer bags. Just when you have purchased your rare ostrich leather bag, out comes the new fall collection, and you just have to get it. And when you have that, something's going to whisper in your ear, and you're going to say, I'm going to need just one more bag, because you know what? My other friend, she might have more bags than me. You will never be satisfied. And this doesn't even only apply to those who are obsessed with collecting things. There may be someone here who has already decided that as soon as the next model iPhone or BMW or designer sneak comes out, you will get it. Perhaps you're already wetting your appetite. You're browsing online, looking for news, announcements, and rumors of what features will come out with it. You're getting excited with every bit you hear, trying to build up your appetite. And perhaps God, in His kindness, will grant it to you. And when it is in your hands, you will feel joy upon joy. But only for a while. You will not be satisfied because you know The next iPhone or BMW or sneakers, the next one is coming out soon. And this process will then repeat itself. There is no joy in living this way. This even applies to all of us in our everyday context. It isn't just reserved for the rich and the elite. You see, we can look to things like comfort and security as idols which replaces money. So, things like having a nice car or making sure you have a spacious house with enough plot of land at the side for you to do a little bit of gardening. And these things then brings forth the same dangers for you. The man in this story, though he had money and respect, even if he had a hundred children, he is still not satisfied in anything. And he dies alone and unburied. He probably did not care for his family. And that is why we see that they take all his possessions and leave him unburied when he is dead. For all the money he has, he has not loved and he is not loved. Even a stillborn baby then is better off because it dies and finds rest, never having been consumed by this desire that cannot be fulfilled. We cannot derive satisfaction from material things. All will die and go to the same place. So now, we have two scenarios. The man who in his desperation to build a legacy loses all things. The man who in his desperate search for pleasure is unsatisfied and dies alone. What does Solomon have to say about this? Have a look then at chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, the meat of this passage. Solomon says, It is better to eat, drink, and find enjoyment from the work that we do than to toil ceaselessly trying to grow our wealth or to continually hunger for more and more wealth and power. Why? Because God has given you a limited time before you die. With that, we come to the end of today's passage, chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. And here we see the conclusion to the big question for today. You want to be rich and powerful? Here's the answer that Solomon gives. You toil for the sake of feeding yourself, but that hunger is never satisfied. Today you eat, tomorrow you will be hungry again. This cycle goes on forever. So don't be too keen to seek out to be rich and powerful. Instead, enjoy what you can. Appreciate your family. Appreciate your daily toil. And when the time comes, die. That is the truth for everyone under the sun. We live, we suffer. If we are lucky, we enjoy a bit. And then we die. Each and everyone here has the exact same thing to look forward to. Depressing, isn't it? Yet, we need to remember that what Solomon is talking about here is life under the sun. Not about life seen through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you, to pay for your sins. And he is now your king. This one fact, totally changes everything about the meaning of life let me show you start with ambition we started this passage with this idea of coming before god with our selfish ambitions and our desires but the gospel shows us a better way instead of asking based on our priorities a better picture then is that we ask god for things that god wants us to do that means reorienting our hearts so that we will desire the things that God desires. Take for example, ministry workers. We will pray for God to raise up others for ministry. Father, please send more mission workers, raise up more pastors. But what's actually happening in our hearts is that we are praying, Father, send anyone but me. Don't take me out of my comfort. I'm only willing to offer these parts of my life but not all my life. If we were to respond like Isaiah responded before God, we would say, here am I, Lord, send me. And we won't pray this prayer because it conflicts with our selfish ambition. So let us be aware of this in us. Let us seek to not live a life of ambition as we define it, but rather desire to do God's work no matter where he calls us. This is what Jesus taught us. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. We saw in the passage how ultimately the king committed to cultivation, even a sinful one like Solomon, will still prosper the nation. Well, we now have a perfect king, the Christ himself, who is perfectly just and righteous. Through him, There comes true and meaningful prosperity. As we see in the Easter resurrection, even death has no hold on his kingdom. How much greater then is the prosperity that Christ brings to his kingdom now that death isn't the end? Next, think about labor. Jesus is a king who rules over his kingdom. What is his desire? What is he cultivating and growing? He harvests souls for the kingdom. He desires people to come to God. So we too, as officials under him, we seek to cultivate the same thing. We plant, we water, and he will give growth to bring many to salvation. It's about laboring for the Lord in the mission field. With Jesus as king, we are no longer part of the cycle of corruption that passes down from one corrupt leader to another corrupt leader and so on. It is now a cycle of righteousness stemming down from a righteous leader who he himself is the source of righteousness. Our labor then is about bringing the gospel and living a gospel-centered life in a way that impacts our neighbor and brings gain for the kingdom. Next. In response to our natural urge to collect riches and chasing after material things, our epistle reading of James today tells us that our treasures on earth will rot and be moth eaten. Should we not then seek instead the treasures of heaven, which is imperishable? We should focus on work that has eternal significance instead of merely worldly significance. And finally, we are told that we have an unsatisfiable appetite. We eat and tomorrow we are hungry again. Psalm 16 tells us the solution. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God satisfies. When we come to God fully... He fills the craving and emptiness inside us and we will be satisfied. So let us not look to the world to fill the emptiness. Instead, we come to God who can fill the emptiness and give us true satisfaction. Let us come to God and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the words that you have given unto us. And Father, we give you thanks that you have sent your King, the one who labors with righteousness and justice. And through him, we bring gain for your kingdom. So Father, help us to align our hearts to your desire. Help us to seek to do your will. Help us to only make vows that pleases you. And help us to fulfill those vows. And Father, for those of us who are struggling with materialism, struggling to find meaning in life, help us then, Father, to come to you to taste the fullness and joy that you only can give. And may our hearts find in our love for you a shelter, peace, and eternal joy that comes to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So please stand.